1: to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin, who now hangs up the Courtney R. Draft Scout jersey and heads back to just being Bears reporter and ESPN radio host. What is up, Courtney?
0: Not much. Uh, Eventful weekend covering the draft. It usually takes one or two days to recover, so we're kind of in the coming-up-for-air phase right now, as I know that you are as well with... A lot of draft picks, which neither of our teams can, you know, did it, made it easy this year with all the trades and Quasi trying to become Rick Spielman part two with all the draft day trades. I believe that I read that that was actually a record, the amount that he made on um, throughout the draft, like tied a record, which is crazy.
1: Yeah, uh, I I lost track of all of them, honestly. I mean, we know all the draft picks, but in terms of did you win this trade? Did you win that trade? And we've been trying to parse through the analytics and everything else of uh, what everyone thinks that they got in exchange. But eventually they end up with a very Spielman-esque 10 players. Uh, But, you know, you uh, decided to be at the center of controversy, as you so often are. In Chicago, because it wasn't a Bears draft pick that drew the most attention to Chicago's draft. Instead, it was what a dopey scout decided to say to your media.
0: Yeah, it was an unfortunate comment. Like, I... I feel like this is kind of like one of those eye opening moments for everybody in the NFL media members that write about draft prospects of just like the language we use. Um, These are these are not commodities. These are human beings. And I think that at the end of the day, people can make people make mistakes. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. Um, Clearly, the scout who said this made a mistake, but it's just like I think the thing that we realize now is, okay, if this stuff is being uttered in, in public and I'm sure that this scout wants to have those comments back or that moment back saying it to a room of 20 something reporters, not off the record. Um, you got to wonder like how, like what's being talked about behind the scenes when it comes to these players. And, you know, the NFL has had to, in scouting departments have had to change their language, things to determine um, what would be classified, um, for players tendencies i'm trying not to use the word soft without using the word soft but there's adjectives that are no longer allowed to be used in reports that would um seem to be a synonym for that word if you if you know what i'm getting at here and i think that there i mean that was years ago when the when the nfl like audited a lot of these reports to like see what the heck's actually going on in front offices with the evaluation process and It was certainly an eye-opening thing to hear that uttered in public, but I do, and kind of like what you guys got in Minnesota, I really appreciated the efforts um, of Ryan Poles and of Kwasi Adolfo Mensa this weekend. Let us talk to the scouts. Let us talk to – not just like, you know, the college scouting directors or like you're – you know, you wouldn't really talk to a pro guy now, but like – Talking to the area scouts, talking to the people who are on the road 200 days a year writing 300 to 400 players and may only get one one player taken in an entire draft class. Like, giving those people their shine and their moment to talk about why these prospects – are are, were chosen like why they were so high on them i thought was a really cool thing because i know that we never had that in minnesota when i was there obviously we talked to jamal stevenson who's now a co-dpp was director of college scouting when you know we talked to him during the draft and that was wonderful but to hear from like the area scouts to hear from the people who were like in the trenches during the year is so beneficial and i really hope that this one instance that happened in chicago won't prevent that from happening again
1: Yeah, it was great for us as well to have insight from more people than just the GM to answer specific questions about players' skill sets and how they can project them and some of the factors that go into evaluating, you know, different things like when So a player didn't have as much production in college and what Mm skill set they saw from them that made them really like that player, stuff like that, why they're a project, why they see a higher ceiling, all those things that we could take and write about. However, you've got to know better. If you are this scout in Chicago, who, by the way, lost his job today, I don't know how connected it was to the comment because a lot of times this happens year to
0: year. And I, and I was told like, just in kind of, you know,
1: hearing about it over
0: the weekend and that, um, he was relieved of his duties. Like I tend to think that that was probably already, you never get fired for one thing. Um, That was probably already in the mix because Ryan Poles has already made considerable changes to his scouting department. Mark Stavowski, who's the college director, um, was let go yesterday on Monday. So they're going to have a new college structure here. Ryan Poles is a college guy, so I'm not surprised about that. He elevated the pro director, Jeff King, to co-director of player personnel, Trey Kozoil who came with him from Kansas city, like is also the co-director player personnel. So like, there's, there's a lot of changes that were expected to be made. And honestly, the scouting department has been in Chicago was on notice ever since like last year's draft. When we knew the writing was on the wall for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, those scouts did too. And scouts typically like, you know, anybody, but like, you know, GM assistant GM, even co DPPs, whatever the structure is. Like most scouts sign two year contracts. Even directors sometimes sign two year contracts. So that's the cycle you work on, which is why the Monday after the draft is over, you typically see the start of so much movement. And May is a really busy month in scouting because there are a lot of people who end up changing jobs, going to different teams, because when new, when new people come in, they want to bring in their people and it's tough to see because a lot of good people lose their jobs or end up like getting, you know, moved around. Um, but it's the nature of the business and it's a beast at times.
1: It'll be interesting to see if the Vikings do any of this, because I yeah. would have expected the answer is yes, we haven't heard anything yet. Um, but that was a pretty consistent question through draft season from fans. How much is it being influenced by Rick Spielman scouts? But I also think that you know, the Wilfs didn't, ever indicate that they wanted a full front office changeover it seemed more like they just wanted a better use of the people they had so this could be two differences between uh the bears and the Vikings. by the way i should mention what the comment was because i don't think it's so offensive we can't say it but um so the the scout there for the bears said that uh the player that they drafted was a phd player which was poor hungry and desperate which is an absurd thing to say about somebody in public, honestly. And like, I get what the guy's trying to say, but some of the scouting language, when said out loud to the universe, sounds really inappropriate. Also, I mean, like, you there are so many different ways you could say that that don't sound like you're talking about, like, I don't know, non humans. Like you said, I mean, somebody who. Uh, has a lot of drive or has come from a difficult background and really wants it like there's lots of ways to say that without calling the guy poor hungry and desperate i mean that's just so dehumanizing to the person
0: and like and part of me when i think about it's just like i don't want to you know you don't want to give a pass to like bad behavior right like and obviously something like this needs to be put on the shelf and not used again evolving is a really big thing it happens in football it happens in trends it happens in scheme it also needs to happen in terms of language because representation and language are two very big things and like I didn't think I was gonna get on my soapbox about this today on the pod so I, I apologize about that but like we've given a pass to a lot of this stuff for a really long time and here's the thing when I heard that term I had a VP in a front office text me saying what the hell did that scout just say? I had an area scout from a different, from an NFC team reach out to me, not right away, but being like, oh my gosh, I have never heard that term before. Um, I texted a few scouts that I know and trust and have said, have you ever heard this term before? Because I've heard, you know, and you and I joke about glass eater and oily hips and, you know, those things aren't offensive. Those things are just, football speak that we find hilarious because there are a lot of funny things that like like football on a stick because you don't want to bend over and snap the ball manually. Like, okay. Um I I I, we know that there's other terms that have been used behind closed doors for years and have been phased out, but that's like the old guard. This is a type of term that I know like I'm not trying to be like an apologist here. I'm sure that scout didn't mean it in a racially charged or dehumanizing way sorry, like that's, that's just like, not okay. And I think the thing that you have to realize here is these guys are more than their 40 time. They're more than just measurables. They're more than just, you know, commodities for your team. And yeah, there's millions and millions of dollars being invested in players during the draft. I get that, but I just feel like for somebody who Joaquin Brisker is the safety that was in reference here for somebody who went the junior college route, um, to Penn State to become like this incredibly cerebral and physical player who's all over the field for them. Like Mel Kiper called him a defensive coordinator on the field. That's like what his coaches at Penn State were referencing him as. So that's clearly a very high, like, high compliment. Um, but he's also got this edge to him that he came up through some shit growing up. Like he's dealt with stuff. So I get the overcoming adversity part. Like instead of just. In- instead of saying that the scout tried to like give us a little bit of context of like what they, how they view somebody like that, but it just didn't come out right. And I, you know, I find it hard to believe again, just from what I've heard and who I've talked to that one thing did somebody in, but I just think it's a good lesson. And look, like it's frustrating for me having been the like one of only two people on my beat to recognize something like that. Um, that's, a, that's a little weird to me. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, it, I hope that that wasn't the only that that certainly in my mind was not the only storyline with this draft because Ryan Poles flipped 3 picks on day 3 into 8 which was an incredible maneuver for a team that entered this weekend draft weekend with 64 players under contract. To get to 90 you have to do a lot of work and I feel like he did an excellent job not just with you know, you always like talk about quantity versus quality. They needed quantity, like straight up, and that's what that's what teams do in the seventh round because anybody who's a seventh round pick, it's probably if, if they're not taken in the seventh round, it's a it's a luck of the draw here. They're they're priority free agents or they're college tryout guys or they're or they're just like in the UDFA class. So I think that that's the bigger story here. Uh, I hope it's not overshadowed because I think Ryan Poles did a. I, I know there's going to be the argument. I've seen the articles that you know they did Justin Justin Fields a disservice this weekend. They're not one drafted player away from being good. Let's let's call it what it is. Like they have a long way to go and addressing the defensive needs that they had and staying true to their board. Not every not every new situation can can afford to do that. Some situations are forced into hey make make win now moves, make moves that are going to get us better quicker even if they don't pan out and Ryan Poles did not do that.
1: Well, just one last comment on uh, the scout there. The thing that is uh, irritating to me about language like that is, like you said, if this guy is considered a defensive coordinator on the field, stop making him sound like a caged animal, my friend. You know what I mean? Like, don't paint somebody like that when intelligence is such a huge part of this game. uh, And then that's how you make the guy sound is just like. So, you know what I mean, like some wild, desperate animal who's just gonna go out and play like a crazy person or something. This is such a terrible and gross description. So anyway, while you uh, reference the draft class, and I guess here's my question for you is who had the more rebuildy draft? Was it the Detroit Lions, the Vikings, or the bears? And we have to throw the Vikings into this because Quasi called it a competitive rebuild yeah. and and the lions and the bears, Are clearly trying to rebuild. So, who did it best?
0: Well, I think the Lions obviously, for me, got the best grade in the division. And I know that I'm not alone in thinking that. Like they made, they made, I think they had eight picks total, and six of those were made on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that all, you know, the ones that they got, obviously Aiden Hutchinson being there at number two, they had to go that. And that was a smart play. But to trade back into the first round, to get Jamison Williams, to give you know, that offense, another layer. I don't know if their quarterback future holds for Detroit. And I, and I was a little disappointed to see them. I thought that was going to be Malik Willis. And clearly, I mean, wow, we were wrong. Wow. Everybody was wrong. And I, it's another cautionary tale of the draft and like not believing everything you hear it, but like also realizing you're getting fed a lot of BS. If we're, if that guy's a third round pick and it's not, don't give me that nonsense that that's just the way that the board fell. No, that's, that's a product of, I don't want to call it lying, but that's a product of, I don't know what, is that collusion? Because it was everybody, was were all the teams telling all these draft experts, oh yeah, he could be the first quarterback taken off the board. Maybe he'll go as high as number two to Detroit. That is a wild one. And I'll be really curious to unpack that in the years to come. But going back to Detroit, I was disappointed to see that they didn't come away with like a quarterback at some point, but I think that they did a really good job in terms of a team that, based off what they did this off season, based off what they did in the draft, could could make a considerable jump. And that I, I'm going to preface that considerable jump for a team that won four games. See, sky's the limit. It could be anything. It could be eight games. It could be seven games. Like become relevant. Like that's what you have to do. And by the end of last year, we saw a Detroit team that was hungry beat the Vikings, beat the Cardinals. and God, they kicked the Cardinals' ass when they came back in that game. So, like, there is – there's a lot of belief, I think, in what Detroit did. Now, as far as, like, the Vikings, I don't – we don't need to harp on the trades, and especially that first one if you don't want to. Um, But I can't really look at the secondary right now and think it's all that much better than what it was a year ago. Like I, I, that's, that's where I have the hard time. Um, And I, and I'm happy to go through the bears class, but I think that in terms of what Minnesota did where, I mean, the trades aside is, is Lewis seen in Harrison Smith better than Harrison Smith and Cam Bynum, Andrew Booth, Jr. Who you guys asked a lot of questions to the guy was perennially injured. He has not played a healthy season since he was in high school yet they ended up using a second round pick on this guy ed ingram like i looked at warren sharp's draft uh, the overdraft underdraft chart that is like the most the biggest overdraft i think of of day 2 that was incredibly surprising so like there's some picks here that i think you look at and you're just like is this the product of a new GM, a first time GM making these decisions like we're, we're you know, and, and that will, I think, in turn, in the coming days and coming weeks lead you to see like, OK, what changes do the Vikings make in terms of their evaluators, in terms of the scouting structure? Um because we know that Quasi Adolfo Mensa does not have, that's not his strength. His strength is on the research and development and analytics side. Are they going to add more, st- more on the, more in the analytics department? Are they going to build an actual research and development uh, department that was like San Francisco's? What are they modeling their front office as that, that to me, those are the questions that are the fallout of this draft. Granted, I know we can't, and I'm not somebody who's like, Oh, this grades an A, this grades an F. Like I don't do that. And I'm really glad because I hate, I would hate that assignment, but There are questions with the Vikings draft that I feel, if you're looking at this objectively, and there are a couple good picks in there. I I won't say that they're not, but there are a couple, especially at the top of the draft on, on day one and day two, that I was kind of surprised by.
1: Folks, well there is plenty of classic football gear to check out at Soda Stick. The hockey playoffs are beginning and you can jump on board with Soda Stick's amazing hockey designs. Dollar Bill, Krill, Moose, Madonna, the old North Stars logo, they've got everything for you for a deep playoff run. Hats, shirts, hoodies and prints for your fan cave go to sodastick.com that is s o t a s t i c k
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think that uh, it helps them long-term to potentially replace harrison smith with lewis and to pair them together for the next likely two years and to add a corner but it's not without as you said uh, a red flag with andrew booth it's a pretty big one and a really big one with ed ingram in the second round which as you mentioned has been kind of dubbed one of the biggest reaches of the entire draft. And that's where it sort of gets a little bit puzzling and the Vikings uh, and how much they made themselves better for the future as well, because if both of those guys hit then, okay, well, that's really good for you. Um, If neither becomes a star and they're just okay. Well, all right. I mean, that's, that's good, but maybe not as good as it would have been if you tried to draft a star at 12th overall. And then when you look across and see the lions get Jameson Williams directly from you, um, I mean it's it that was the boldest thing that Quesi Mensa did was not only just bet on more players, but also bet that Jamison Williams won't be a star or won't dominate the NFC North for a long time to come, along with Amon Ross St. Brown. And I think that you know the Lions are doing all the things and, and even the Bears to some extent that we thought the Vikings should do. Um, we thought the Vikings should sort of aim for star players at at really key positions like edge rusher and wide receiver. Well, that's what Detroit did at the top of the draft. They got two potential superstars in super valuable positions. And then what Chicago did was they just got a bunch of players, but also look at, I mean, they did take a guard in the fifth, but who cares about that? But it's like defensive back, defensive back, receiver, defensive end tackle. Like those are a lot of the top picks. And that's not the approach that the Vikings really took. Um, So it feels like if, if you were doing a battle of the rebuilds, you would you know, raise the banner for Detroit, you would say Chicago kind of did what they could with what draft capital they had left. And the Vikings put themselves somewhere in between, well, maybe this will be good for you in the future. Maybe this will help early, you know, early on next year if Louis scene becomes very good right away, but did not look like one of those franchise altering drafts like it could yeah. be for Detroit.
0: And that's the, that's the, that's what I would take issue with, with the Vikings. Um, And there's plenty to take issue with, I think, with Chicago's draft. I think it was obviously a pretty good draft just in terms of, like, I'm in the – you have to think about this logically. Rome's not built in a day. A roster that was at, at like, below ground zero, um, and they're just starting to get above ground. Like, you have – there there were so many needs. It was an incredibly – and probably still is – an incredibly talent-deficient team. It's not just wide receiver offensive line. They had to blow up. They had like the one of the worst secondaries. You saw it. You saw who Kidal Kidal Vindor, whatever a guy's name is, the cornerback who was like the ninth string cornerback because they had everybody injured or out due to COVID during that that first game they played against the Vikings. They gave up 31 passing touchdowns last year. A cornerback was the nearest defender on 27 of those. That's awful. So of course, like it's kind of like pick whichever one you want to go with and what you get the best value for because everywhere has needs on this roster for the Chicago bears. So I get that, but like, and I know that like some Vikings fans were, you know, just in their feelings when I was commenting because I have every right to do that considering I'm still connected to the team. And, you know, I happen to know a thing or two about a thing or two when it comes to this team Um, stuff that's happened with Minnesota, this off season has not lined up. You don't say that you're in a competitive rebuild um and then go pay kirk cousins the amount you did on the extension and give yourself zero leverage whatsoever by giving him his no trade clause back etc you don't make those sort of moves with you know you know keeping daniel hunter happy keeping him around getting um zadarius smith uh bringing back patrick peterson like all of these moves that they've made so far show you okay the Will family ownership, people who are in charge for making these decisions, are pinning all of the blame on coaching, saying, We have a talented enough roster to win this year. Kevin O'Connell is a coach that's going to take this team to the next level that Mike Zimmer wasn't able to get them to. So then you make so if you're thinking by that logic, then you're thinking plug and play type players, get somebody who can who can contribute for you right away like justin jefferson did as a rookie in 2020 so when you pass up Jamison williams and a host of really good players from 12 to 31 that doesn't add up what has been said versus what has been done does not line up with this franchise you cannot actively be a playoff team or competing for the for the playoffs if you are rebuilding so what are you? Are you, are you competing for the playoffs or are you in a rebuild? You can't tow this line of both. And that's what irritates me when I'm, when I'm looking at this, because it just feels like the, once again, does this not feel like 2020 half in, half out, one foot in, one foot out? Absolutely. feels And Get rid of the rest of your defense because of regression, age and salary cap issues. Why are they trying to do this the same way that clearly didn't work out two years ago and then led them to miss the playoffs the last two years? That's my issue with it. And that Lewis seen aside, he might be an awesome player. That's so great. Kyle Hamilton was available to you at 12, just saying. And then right. the quarterbacks, like they, I'm not, so I, I don't, I'm not sold on necessarily Trent McDuffie, but there's a reason he was the third cornerback taken off the board. And there's a reason that there was no consensus on the fourth because of injuries and all these other things that plague the rest of the group. So, and on top of that wide receiver, a lot of other positions that you could have taken if you are truly trying to win right now. But again, the sort of logic and in, in discourse that we're seeing with this group kind of feels like history repeating itself and it just doesn't all line up that that's, that would be my issue with it.
1: Well, and that's the thing about saying an oxymoron like competitive rebuild is then that's, you know, sort of what the approach looks like a little bit as well. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you were trying to get a player that could help you right away, then trade up and get the guy that you want or draft a 12 and get one of several guys that are uh, really high ceiling prospects who could help right away. Kyle Hamilton. Um, I haven't mentioned Jordan Davis a lot, but they could have gone with him. He was picked right there. And then Jamison Williams is the obvious one. And with his progress from his ACL injury, now it appears he might be able to play the majority of the season. So that would have been a help right away and later type of move. And Lewis Seen is kind of neither. I mean, it's like he probably doesn't change your fate this year. Um, Long-term he's a, Potential centerpiece, but not like a rebuild centerpiece because of the value of the safety position. Those are guys you need, but they're not guys who drive the success the way that a Joey Bosa or a Jalen Ramsey type of edge rusher or cornerback would do for a defense. It's usually like a really nice complimentary piece, unless the guy is Harrison Smith and then he could be a centerpiece. But there's only like five of those guys in the league. Yeah. So the likelihood of that is not super high. But um, you know, being stuck in in that, uh, I think, has been frustrating for a lot of fans, and I've gotten a lot of notes from people just going, "I really went into this offseason looking for something to latch onto to say, like, make it, make it." different for me and this was the last opportunity that they had to do that to say all right we are going to do things differently we are going to give you something to latch on to and say but look at the way that they handled the draft and it doesn't mean that they blew it it doesn't mean that we should give them an f because we don't know how these picks are going to turn out they could all end up being pro bowlers but i think that if you were hoping for that You know, Chris Alave, who, you know, wasn't there when they picked, or, you know, Garrett Wilson or Drake London or Jamison Williams, that player who could kind of change how you feel about them, or a trade up for Kayvon Thibodeau or something really exciting. It just didn't happen. It never came. And that's the story of the whole offseason. Like, what would have been exciting? A Kirk Cousins trade, moving on from all the 30 year old players, getting all new guys, making a bunch of free agent signings with cap space that you created. Zadarius Smith is a good signing and a good player if he's mm-hmm. healthy. Um, but that's really the only one that fans can look at and go like, okay, this guy might change things for us. Everybody else, that's where it has to come back to, yeah, the coaching. And the other thing too, and this is the difference between the Vikings and Chicago, the Vikings just didn't get their salary cap right. Yeah. They, 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 they didn't fix themselves for the future. So it's hard to see them changing anything significantly until – when like 2024. So the, in the race of the rebuilds, which is kind of the point Detroit takes a big jump because they drafted two guys who could be all pros. And then Chicago nudges ahead, even though they are way behind in roster talent presently, but in rebuild talent and rebuild cap space, Chicago has an edge here.
0: Yeah. And like, I think the thing too, because I get it. Like I I listen to this fan base now every single day. And they're not patient and I can understand it. Like I have empathy for that because they've been sold the same bill of goods before they were sold it with Jerry Angelo. They were sold it with Ryan pace. Uh, they have one playoff win in 15 years. Let's let that sink in for a second. Um, so when you're told be patient, Rome isn't built in a day and no one has said that exactly, but like, I'm trying to like talk to like, you know, the masses here, that's what they're saying. Like they have, so much work to do and it's not all going to be fixed this year but i think when you have the freedom and the flexibility that ryan poles certainly has to do it his way and tear this thing down just to just to build it back up and do it in an effective way then you can make the moves like they made and I know that the draft analysts that were out there looked at their day two because they didn't have a pick on day one. And even day one, there were people like, hmm, you know, run on receivers, maybe Chicago should get involved and take some calls at the end of round one. And Ryan Poles told us that he didn't place any calls and he didn't take any calls because they didn't have a first-round pick, which, again, when I think back to Minnesota's draft, like the Bears gave up their future first to go up to eleven to get Justin Fields. The fact that Minnesota did not get a first round pick next year for number 12 this year, I understand the trade charts and whatever and analytics and you know, there's there's different trade charts like right like Jimmy Johnson's trade chart and the values there versus other things. Like ESPN's analytics said that the Vikings won that trade because of the haul that they got, but you never you never don't get a first round pick next year because the Vikings are going to be sitting there being like, "Hmm, man, like that would have been nice to have next year. Um, But I say all that to say, like, you know, the the approach that Ryan Poles took was the smart and the calculated one, but it's not one for the faint of heart because when you want to win now and you expect that Justin Fields has to be better this year, so you have some idea on him, that's where the school of thought goes, should you have gotten one more receiver than Valus Jones, somebody who – you know, doesn't have the offensive production. It's not like he had this illustrious, like, you know, college career where he was a great receiver. He transferred from USC because he wasn't getting playing time and he had one good year at Tennessee. So it's like, you come away from that. And I think you can make the argument and a lot of people have that they didn't do enough this draft to help Justin Fields. And that goes back to free agency too, If they signed one receiver and they really only made one, one notable addition on the offensive line with Lucas Patrick. But when you have as many needs as this team does, like, I don't think you can fault Ryan Poles for staying true to his board and going Kyler Gordon who they were surprised was there. Um, and again, Warren Sharp's draft board shows that that was an underdraft because he was supposed to be gone by, I think, the like either 36 or 37, and they got him at 39. It's a good spot. Um, and you have a safety who's going to start opposite Eddie Jackson because you don't have another one of those. So there's still a lot of holes, though. Like, they did not address this stuff around Justin Fields and I think, a very impactful way. Yes, they did get four offensive linemen on day three, and that's great. But you and I both know, anybody knows, like, you can't just gamble that, like, a fifth, or sixth, or seventh round offensive lineman is going to pan out for you, let it, like, at all, let alone right away.
1: Yeah. Plus there are no players in the NFL named Velas who have ever succeeded. So Velas, sorry. The, the analytics say 0% of Velas's have ever had success in the NFL. So I think that's a a 25 year old,
0: rookie, which a lot of people Mm. have like taken issue with. And um, I mean, that's the benefit of the COVID year for him. That's the benefit of the transfer, you know, being able to transfer going from USC to Tennessee and finding a place, but, know, they're fortunate, I think it's not a 25-year-old rookie who has dealt with injuries throughout his career and just kept getting medical red shirts. It's somebody who said that he I asked him about it, and he said that you know he's only had a high ankle sprain. So that ended up um, like he says he has a body of a 21-year-old, which we'll see. I just I, the only thing I would caution is that when you get a like, and there's a lot of rookies this year because of the COVID year that are older, like most of the Bears draft picks in day three are 23, 24 years old. The only thing I would caution when you get somebody who's like halfway to 30, it's not injuries. It's not, you know, any stuff like that. It's what habits do have they had, have they created for themselves that they've had a longer time to keep enacting and how do you have to break those habits? Cause obviously like technique is something that has to be refined at the NFL level. Um, you're probably not seeing a lot of 25 year old corners at the ro- rookie corners because you'd be grabbing like incessantly and that's not that's uh, that's a habit that has to get like knocked out of you very quickly and it takes a long time so there's probably only a couple positions where that actually makes sense um and we'll and we'll see what what ends up panning out with the bears in that one
1: yeah but i i think that even with just 25 year olds there's always the question of if you were really a great prospect you're probably taken before that, right? Like, especially at a wide receiver position where sometimes with quarterbacks, you're behind somebody else. You don't get your opportunity like Joe Burrow, for example, and he had to transfer, he had to sit out, then he finally gets his chance, shows what he can do. But if you're a wide receiver... And you're not beating out other USC wide receivers to get chances. And then you have to go somewhere else. And then you're the old guy on the field and you're beating up. I mean, that's like, if you have two years in college, you go back and play high school basketball, right? Like you'd probably do pretty well. Uh, So the same thing here. And it sounds, it just sounds like with a lot of these that, you know, they kind of had the scouty McScouterson type of draft that you would have expected from Mr. Scout. With uh, Ryan Poles, and I guess this could have been the Vikings' draft instead because Ryan mm-hmm. Poles was almost their GM. Um, but how many now? Now that it's over, now that the dust is settled, how many games are the Bears going to win? Like I don't know what Vegas' is over under is, but I think it's like maybe six and a half. It it, it can't they be moved, very high, moved, right?
0: Okay, so they moved their over under. I was asked about this yesterday. It's up to seven now, so it went up. They were six and a half when that opened the day that it was like after free agency, I think. I still would take the under. And I think that's a safe play because again, I know they got like they, they're happy with their draft class. But nobody's going to come out and be like, "Oh god, look at these guys we're bringing in." Like they're going to say that and I feel like for Ryan Poles, he he should be happy because he accomplished what he set out to do. You know what I mean? Like he came in, told us at the combine the six the five picks at that time that they had before they traded Cleo Mack was the hand that they were dealt. That's a way of being like, yeah, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy left me a mess and I have to fix it. So he flipped six into 11 or five technically into 11. And that's a good number to come away with because last I checked, you still have to get to 90 and the Vikings are there. I saw the Jake Vargas signing yesterday that put them at 90. So um, they're, they're set, but like the bears still have a lot of work to do. I still think that this is going to be a very long season and it's a learning season now people in the building, are they going to be okay with that? Like they can say it now, but like once lot sl- when losses start piling up and emotions start running high and people start getting hurt and things that just the day in and day out, wear and tear on your mentals when you're going through that might not be thinking the same way, but like if you are truly going to stick to this approach of we're a ways away from being competitive, because I mean that, that that's, that's what you basically said without saying it verbatim the day that you traded Khalil Mack, like, that's what it is. And this is not the year to like think that they're going to all of a sudden surprise people. And it's tough because they did, obviously as the Vikings did too. This is the year the NFC North drew the NFC East. It would be a great year like if you were a team that might be, you know, it's a great, it's great for the Vikings, you know, if they really think that this roster can win can win games with a new coaching staff great that you drew the Washington commanders that you drew. I think Philly's going to actually be pretty good. So bad that you drew Philly and Dallas, whatever. I don't know what Dallas is, but you also have New York giants on there. Like that's at least two of two. Well,
1: as long so, as Cooper rush doesn't play, the Vikings are fine.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> Here's another question for you though. Uh, who wins the NFC North first, the Vikings or bears?
0: I think, I mean, I, oh, God, it's a hard one. Um, First, as in, I mean, do I have to like count out how many years this will be? I I don't, I I think it's going to be a really long rebuild here in Chicago. I I don't know. Like, can I say Detroit?
1: Oh, you can't say Detroit. Yes. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll go
0: ahead and throw Detroit in there because I honestly just don't know because the Bears are so far away from being competitive and, that's not like a knock on their strategy. I think it's the smart strategy. It's just like, it's such a rare strategy because people talk big game. When they talk patience. owners talk it all the time to be able to get the people in that they think. And then when results, when they don't start producing, even though they said it's going to take a while, that's when the pressure and the heat starts getting on and moves are made and everything else. But um, man, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I'll go and I'll say the Vikings because, and and first of all, I think the Vikings have a much more talented roster right now. I don't think that's under, I mean, in parts of the quarterback position because you have experience with Kirk and Justin Fields doesn't have anyone to throw to outside of Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, and and maybe Valus Jones. I don't know. Um, Justin Jefferson is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Irv Smith is coming back. Can he stay healthy? Then, then that's a great thing. Um, Adam Thielen too. They have a wide receiver three in, in, um, KJ Osborne like yeah I think it's very easy to say that the Vikings have the better roster now like but I just if we're we don't know what timetable we're talking about here as far as winning the NFC North so that's why I'm going to go ahead and say Detroit
1: okay I just thought of one with Vales Jones the best ability is a Vales ability That is the worst pun
0: Mm -hmm. and plan words I've ever heard in my life.
1: (laughs) Uh, So Detroit is so far ahead on their rebuild with what they just did in the draft and what they did last year that they're the obvious answer here that if they were to draft a quarterback next year, let's say they win six or seven games, draft a quarterback high and then build around that quarterback. You're still talking about like 2024, 2025 of Detroit being able to win the division. And I guess that's what makes the question really so much about the Vikings is Chicago. You could see getting the cap right. And then next year going into free agency saying we're a big spender it's Chicago players do go there. Uh, It's not like it's a place that's hard to get people to show up. So if they got their cap situation, correct, they could, Uh, signed a bunch of players to try to be better in 2024. The Vikings really have to do it within these next two years, because then things kind of hit a roster reset, unless some of these guys become superstars. Yeah.
0: You're in the same spot. You'd be in because of the quarterback's position. And.
1: And how long Rogers plays matters to this too. It's probably at least it's at least two more years though. And he's likely to still be good. And that Packers roster is far better than anybody else's, despite losing Devonte Adams, they're still better than everybody else's. And so I think it's a really interesting question because it depends on, can the Vikings somehow win a division within the next two years? Does that take Rogers getting hurt? Does that take Rogers doing so many
0: things afterwards? Yeah. Right.
1: Or taking so many, like, weird cleanses that it eventually uh, hurts his body long-term. I don't know. Um, but that, that was kind of, like, coming away from this, we really saw the rebuilds at the center of this uh, draft. Now, I just wanted to ask you before we um, scoot, uh, what else caught your eye in the draft? Um, as a national radio personality as you are.
0: The Baker Mayfield stuff. Like, what... You know, I'm not a fan of the things that he said either, but the discourse coming out of this draft of just like straight up hailing on this guy with golf ball size ice balls, like, come on. Like he's not an awful quarterback. Like I I just feel like what's been put out there and everything that's gone wrong for him, like, And and granted he's made it worse because of some of the things that he said and done and not necessarily like at the right timing and everything, but like he went to an organization that was awful. He did. And he set the touchdown record for a rookie. He helped turn them around. They made the playoffs. They won a playoff game with him um, and, and like beat their rival at that. When that happened and he was hurt last year. Like, I don't think that – I just, like – because I remember I tweeted. I was like, Icky Iquanu is going to do a great job blocking for Baker Mayfield next year. People were like, no, idiot. Like, one day I tweeted that. And then, of course, on Saturday it ends up becoming like, man, talks are falling through. And I was like – then they draft Matt Corral or whenever that was, They day two. um, And it's like, geez, like, you know – I, that's something like, I just can't figure that situation out. You know what I mean? Like that one doesn't make any sense to me. Cause it's like, you guys need each other. You may not like each other, but like he is a bridge quarterback for you. And then he can go be someone else's problem to deal with. And Matt rule, maybe you can save your job. I don't know. It just, that whole thing, as far as, um you know, veteran players getting involved in this mix, that one surprised me just of like, how that apparently died after this weekend. Um, was not surprised about the AJ Brown thing. I felt of all the receivers that were going to force their way out. He had the best leverage to do so. And I'm not surprised that Debo is still a San Francisco 49er.
1: Yeah. I'm not surprised by that either. Um, John Lynch finally shined a little light on what's going on with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like it seems yeah. like they were ready to trade Jimmy Garoppolo somewhere. And then all of a sudden he has the surgery on his arm and that just brought everything to a halt. But with the Baker, I think what it says about Baker Mayfield is that everybody around the league just thinks he's a bad guy and nobody wants to touch that with a 50 foot pole. That's what it sounds like because he usually, if anybody can halfway play quarterback and think about what's been said about Carson Wentz, like most people have talked badly about Carson Wentz after having coached him in Philadelphia and then in Indianapolis that they had trouble coaching him and he still gets acquired yet Baker Mayfield must be so impossible to deal with that teams are like, nah, we don't want any part of that because at least Carson Wentz is a jerk behind closed doors as opposed to in public all the time with Baker Mayfield, which I, it feels like they really, truly, these teams cannot stand. But I think that what will end up happening, his contract makes us a little tough is either he gets cut and someone just signs him yeah, or, or the teams will wait to see if their quarterback gets hurt in training camp or in week one or week two. Last last year, think
0: about- Are they gonna give him the Deshaun Watson treatment of like, we're gonna continue to pay, you just don't show up for camp?
1: Just I mean, don't that do could, it. That, yeah, that God, could, I
0: hate that precedent was set. I hate yeah. that because it's just absurd. Now everybody's going to follow that for somebody who's pissed off and disgruntled where it's like, I'm just, you're going to still pay me my money, even though I'm not doing anything for you. You can't bring that guy to training camp. Are you kidding me?
1: Yeah. I mean, it would just be a circus. That so it would they, be yeah. like
0: that you'd be inviting the distraction in hard knocks would cancel its trip to Detroit this year and would go to Cleveland or they would end up doing hard like two of them. Um, There's no way.
1: I think what it ends up being like, think of last year with Washington, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets hurt in week one. They have to play Taylor Heineke the whole season. They go seven and 10 in that spot. Sam Bradford. Remember that what happened with Sam Bradford before he got traded to the Vikings, he tried a camp holdout that lasted like three days and everybody made fun of him with Philadelphia after they yeah. draft. Yeah. After they drafted Wentz, I could see yeah. the same thing happening is just you sit around and you wait and you assume some quarterback's going to get hurt in the first couple weeks and some team is going to think they're season is over and you'll be standing right there waiting to give them baker mayfield for oh a second round draft pick or something like that what makes it complicated is that cap space situation where he's owed 18 million so how do you even make that happen but i think that that's probably their best route at this point since nobody's giving up anything for baker mayfield
0: yeah no i i don't disagree i think there are a lot of players like robert quinn is one here um we talked uh that that was a t- situation we we're talking about last week of you know do they end up trying to deal him because they dealt Cleo Mack there's a there's two there's two sides of the coin here do you want to feel somewhat of a semblance of a competitive football team do you have someone who can rush the passer because if you don't and if you're not confident in the guys that you've just gotten free agency and Al-Kadeen Muhammad and Justin Jones to play three technique and you know the guy who just started playing defensive end in 2020 um, that they drafted from Miami, Ohio, you should probably keep him around, but there's going to be some playoff team come the trade deadline. That's like, gosh, we could be a pass rusher away from shoring this thing up and contending. And that's when your value is the highest. So I feel like there's multiple cases of, of that around the league right now. And Baker falls into that category. I just don't know what's going ha- like, to, I'm intrigued by it, but I don't know what's going to happen the next couple months in terms of like his future and, uh, you know, does he does he show up does he not is he told to stay away like what happens so yeah yeah.
1: i mean the fact that players moved in general was surprising and then the players who did move the names were a little surprising including marquise brown who i think actually has a really good argument that his team was not we now know
0: why he got we now know why he got moved right
1: oh because of the suspension for sure but also like i could see why Uh, yo, yeah. I could see why he wanted to go because I think Baltimore's passing game has just been really poor the last few years and he'll be a better fit going down the field there. Um, so, you know, OK, that's the last last question. Last question. We were going into the draft saying the NFC is weak and this is a, an argument for why the Vikings can make the playoffs and maybe part of their formula for being competitive. Who got the most better or did anyone change your mind? when it came to the NFC and what they did in the draft, not for the future, but for this year, because what Detroit did for the future definitely shapes our opinion. Yeah.
0: And of course, like I want to buy into the hype around um, the jets. Right. Like I thought they had a great draft and I know that like, this has happened before, like, you know uh, this is when they've had like, you know, tons of first round draft picks and everything else. And, you know, we, we look at it and say, man, have they finally gotten it? And we knew Joe Douglas when he got there in 19 in the spring, summer, whatever it was um, we knew that that was going to be a long process for him because I don't, they, they hadn't yet fired the coach, right? Adam Gates was still the coach there. And he knew that he had this mess in the front office that Mike Mcagnan left him and we had and he said it was going to take a couple years well this should be the year that like that front office gets judged probably um you know the, the heaviest I would give them and I don't give them grades uh but I'd give them a high grade NFC like teams that are actually gonna like be good this year like, I'd say the Falcons had a good draft like I thought all that stuff that Terry Fontenot was talking about last week was a smokescreen, but it ended up, and it probably was, but, like, it ended up, like, falling right into their lap, right? Like, drafting a quarterback. Like, he said they were going to do it. I just didn't think that it would be where it was and who it was. But they're not a team that, like, can actually, like, contend this year. Um, Probably Philly. Yeah. yeah. That's probably it because, like, the – I never thought that Jalen – Jalen Smith, right, the Alabama guy, I never thought that he was – um, excuse me, Devante Smith. Like I yeah. never thought that Devonte Smith was going to be this like breakout stud for star for, um, Jalen hurts. Now I, um, I was obviously proven wrong. He's a Heisman trophy winner, whatever, like at the college level, but like, I never thought it, like I always felt there was an element missing from that passing game. AJ Brown is incredible. So like pulling off that trade on top of the fact that, you know, on defense, Jordan Davis is like seven of me. So like, he's a mammoth of a human being. I is awesome. We talked to him on radio last week during, you know, everybody's got their promotions that they're doing pre-draft. And he was so insightful and and just talking about like kicking the crap out of their offensive line at Georgia and practice every day and not taking any L's um, among their, I mean, their defensive line was stacked like Trayvon Walker, um, you know, that's the first round it's first round pick. And I think they had four taken in the first round. Like it's insane. Like their defensive front was just wild. Five.
1: But, I think it was five.
0: Five. Um, They, that was a great pick I think for them. So like, you know, and even getting to Kobe Dean, I know his medicals are apparently really suspect. Um, and that's why he fell all the way that he did. But I think they came away with a really good group and they were playoff team last year. That was a team that utilized their first round picks the way that they needed to. And the fact that they got like a awesome. I don't even know another way to describe it. Like AJ Brown is like what I think of when I think of big body X, you know, mm-hmm. like that's what I think of when I think of that type of receiver. And I'm really excited to see him play in Philly. Yeah, and also I, I have personal ties to it too. I covered AJ in high school. He's one of my dandy dozen kids. Like to see somebody from like who grew up in a trailer in Mississippi, like, get a $100 million contract, you know, hats off to you. I was thrilled when I saw that happen.
1: Also, Philly gets to find out if Jalen Hurts can play or not because exactly. he's got they no, did, no they excuses. To,
0: to, to make sure that they fulfill that promise of, okay, like, they didn't go out and get a quarterback. That's their guy, and they're, you know, sticking with him, so let's see. Like, let's see. Put stuff around him. Let's see.
1: And they could be a spot if next year there's a disgruntled quarterback who wants to go somewhere else. Hey, we can give you these two great receivers, this tight end and so forth. So they did a good job to help themselves right away. Well, Courtney, uh, always a good time. We didn't sing, though. You want to sing on the way out? What's up with the Bears? What's up with the Bears? Did they blow the draft? What's up with the Blairs? Is it a rebuild? Do they just stink? The Bears. Bears.